Hello, hello, and welcome to the Listen to This Bull podcast. My name is Matt Mulholland. This is Malia Meadows, a public adjuster from Ally Public Adjusters. And we're going to talk today about the difference between big firms, little firms, and firms that grow on rocks, and probably some of the pros and cons. This is the show where you can call in or comment in and ask us any question you want. Like, if a tree falls off of my neighbor's property onto my property, is that a claim that's covered under my property or their property? Or you can ask some really weird questions like, hey, Matt, have you ever eaten a burrito with a ghost pepper in it? And what were the results? The results were explosive. I never know what I'm going to say when I start saying something. Well, hey, that's I have the best to, way. I know, it's interesting. You look like a floating head, so that's kind of I fun. Know. What are the chances I wear green on a day I'm going to be on a green screen? Well, you didn't know. I did not know. This was a total surprise. <laughs> she says no one's watching, <laughs> so it's completely fine. Um, we did actually put out a post saying that the show was going to start at 6.05 today. Oh. So we have a free five minutes to say whatever we want without anyone ever paying attention. Oh, well, we can get away with anything right now. Okay, well that could be. Oh dangerous. shit! There's one person watching. Uh, Damn it! How do you, you see? Are. How do you see? Uh, here's a little eyeball on the screen. It says one. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, whoever that is, they can put a comment in. Oh, it's my wife. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Your biggest fan. She is actually. <laughs> now she needs to bring the rest of her friends in here to watch us. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we really could just talk about just about anything right now because we don't actually start till 6.05. So is there anything that has nothing to do with our topic you want to ask me about? Um, you are part of the uh, National Claims Institute Specialty Roofing Inspection course. The very first students I've ever had for that course. I am. And I, I hate to say it, but... Um, I'm your I, best student. You're the best student ever had for that That's class right ever i like to be number one i don't think there's anybody better that i could have <laughs> <laughs> so, i anyway. even helped you peel sticky off of metal Get, today what else can you get we uh we ripped some um dude's metal panels when they sit outside for a long time the 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 covering on the metal definitely gets stuck on there hey james how we doing so we're actually going to get started, everyone, at 6.05, because the promo that I put out for the show says we start at 6.05. So for the next three minutes, two minutes, we're going to talk about anything you want, even burritos with ghost peppers and the explosive results. Um, and my wife is very familiar with those results, probably. Uh I I'm like sorry. spicy foods. Do you like spicy food? I do not. You I don't? love Mexican food, but not spicy Mexican food, if that, that makes any sense at all. Well, sure. Is it really Mexican, though? Probably not. It probably isn't. I have it's probably some of my family is Mexican, and they make fun of me for that, because I just don't like it. Is that what they choose to make fun of you for? There's so well, many Well, no, there is a long list. That's just one of the many. Okay. It's, it's fun having someone in the studio with me, so I don't have to wear a headset. Actually, I can take this shit off. <laughs> Keep in mind, guys, if you have questions, you can post them in the comments. But uh, today we're going to be talking about the difference between a public adjustment firm that is maybe a one-man show, one or two guys, versus having a very large public adjusting firm, trying to the pros and cons. Uh, so, Malia, you have ally public adjusters in Oklahoma. Yes, I do. It says public adjusters with an S oh. at the end. How many public adjusters do you have as a part of the company? Currently, we have me, myself, and I. That's three people. I know. Uh, or is it just one? So it's not really public adjusters. <laughs> well, you know, there's always potential, but I kind of like is. it this way currently. Yeah, there's definitely some benefits. I I look with a nostalgic eye towards the past when it was just mm -hmm. me as a public adjuster, and to be honest, there was a lot of benefit to it. Um, but I I ended up with a firm that had. Uh, I don't remember if it was 12 or 13. It was one of those two public mm -hmm. adjusters at my peak. We had a lot more support staff. I think we had 25 or 26 full employees. I want to mm -hmm. say 25. So we'll go with that. So we were a fairly sizable firm. And in Georgia, that was a very large firm. Um, but I definitely had roots where it was much smaller. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I didn't make that much more money as a large mm -hmm. firm. But maybe I was doing it wrong. So 
what kind of things do you think if you were trying to you're thinking about growing your business and wanting to become a larger firm, what kind of a thing do you make assumptions on? What do you assume that you would benefit from having a larger firm? Well, I think that the more heads you put together, the more knowledge you have. So there is benefit in that. Now, I, you know, I have built this great network of PAs from public adjuster bootcamp and coming to courses like this and conferences. So I have been fortunate that I have a lot of people I can rely on when I have questions, but it's still not the same as everybody being in the same building at some time of the day and saying, hey, these are our issues. What do you think? What's your experience? What did you do? And I think there's a lot of value in learning from each other and it's easier to do when you're in the same space at the same time or you're all or there's no competition because you all work at the same company and you're all working together. So mm-hmm. I think teamwork, there's a lot of value in that. And, you know, there's benefits of if you work alone, you get to make all the rules. So there's some of those benefits too. Well, if, if you're the owner of the company of a larger firm, <laughs> still you still get, get to, to make, make all the rules. rules. Let me let well, me tell yes. you what my experience was because a lot of the things that you just said definitely didn't happen for me. Okay. Um, the idea that you've got here is that you found a group of public adjusters that have been doing this long enough that they're bringing experience into the group. Mm-hmm. And then they're able to share experience and they're going to gain experience when they're working for you. But mm-hmm. most of the time, if they've done this for themselves or for another company for some period of time, most of the time they're not going to work as an employee nearly as much. Maybe they want to have their own firm. Right. So you end up hiring uh, people that have no experience and you're training them more often mm-hmm. than not. That was the case for me mm-hmm. because there was very few public adjusters in Georgia. But even if you were in a state where there was a ton of public adjusters that choose from a pool of them, mm-hmm. finding someone that has experience that's coming in without some bad habits from another PA firm is tough. Right. So you might spend your time training them and maybe learning a few th- tips and tricks here and there from them. But for the first couple of years there, you're not mm-hmm. really picking up or benefiting much from that aspect of it. You do have a sounding board, though. Or do you do, you do better as a sounding with a sounding board when you're trying to come up with uh, uh, arguments? It's nice. It's nice. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, since it's just me, I tend to just dig into the research or, mm-hmm. you know, if I can get a hold of somebody that I know. But I think I shared with you yesterday, I said that one of the reasons that I haven't expanded will, while I think that I probably could at this point is that I feel like, as you said, PAs want to go out and do their own thing, have their own companies. So I feel like you're just training up people so they can go out and do it on their own because they're going to make more money and they don't necessarily want to share. And then once you expand, you also have all those workers comp issues, overhead issues, all those things you didn't have before, all those expenses that eat up your profit. Have you ever managed a group of people at a different company before? Uh-huh. Yeah, I was director uh-huh. of operations. I did all that fun there's stuff. Some, there's some headaches that come with managing people along those ways, too. Absolutely. Oh, I hated that. That was my least favorite. One of the biggest benefits of of running a school now um, Mm -hmm. is that I have like one employee. (laughs) That is nice. (laughs) I have one person to manage right now, Uh, Mm -hmm. plus myself. I guess I have to manage myself, but I'm I'm very cruel to myself. I'm a very bad, bad manager myself, and I force myself to work constantly. I understand. Sometimes I cry to sleep, but then I slap myself for doing it. And, and I say, you can't do that. You're still on the clock because I'm your slave driver. I'm slave yourself. To myself. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, there are some benefits to staying small, though, for those reasons. You don't have the headaches that you have, but you also have everything relying on you. Mm-hmm. So I haven't met a public adjuster yet that was really good at every aspect of their job. And this would be true for contractors, engineers, Mm -hmm. anybody that has a firm, I guess in any industry, but let's just stick to the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. Growing your firm to expand, the first thing that you pick up would be someone that fills a hole that you are missing Mm -hmm. or someone that does something better than you at maybe the thing that you suck at the most. Right. 
it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to figure out what you suck at the most. <laughs> Do you know what you suck at the I most? I think you have to be able to self-reflect. Um, yes. And a lot of people cannot do that. That's true. I it's think, a sign of intelligence if you can. <laughs> I think that um, saying no to some things is not my strongest suit. I have been known to subcontract some help for um, filing and some organization. Not that I can't, but I get so caught up in all the other things that need to happen. And I let some of those things go. So I will hire somebody to come in and clean that up. So, that, so you're thinking about like admin type structure or someone filing claims too. So they might have no. to have a PA license. No, no. I mean, in my circumstance, I'll get somebody admin kind of come in when I need oh, yeah. them and just, okay, here's the stack of stuff that needs mm -hmm. to happen. Can you create these folders in the drive? Can you do these things? Because if I get some of that mundane stuff, off of my plate, I have more time to focus on the claims and who needs help. And, and that came back and let's read that report and see what the issue is and what's the next step. And let's those call types the of customer things. and make sure mm -hmm. that they understand where we're at mm -hmm. and what the, uh, where the file's going and what it is that we're doing. So they don't mm -hmm. feel like we're doing nothing because they haven't heard from us in like 10 weeks. Right. Yeah. So right. the very first person I hired mm -hmm. admin mm -hmm. for the exact same reason. It's a lifesaver. And even then you find yourself working yourself to death, but that's part of it. Of course, you but feel... then you can limit yourself to just mm -hmm. things that require a license. Mm -hmm. That's immediate goal number one, other than marketing, because that admin person probably isn't going to be getting the claims. Right. You're still responsible at that point for bringing in whatever work that mm -hmm. you need. I think, you know, what I have been so fortunate that the leads have come in without me having to do just a whole lot of marketing and that type of thing. But you asked me what my weakness is and networking is probably one of mine just because I don't like to go out to BNI and all of these things and finding time to do that. And it's not that I don't like it. It's just, I'm a little bit of an introvert. So it's a little bit harder for me to walk in a room full of people. I don't know and talk, you know, if there's a couple of people, okay, I can go do that, but it's not my strong suit to go and to a room of 50 people and go, hi, I'm Aaliyah, I'm public adjuster, send your people my way. You know, that's just not natural to me. A lot of people don't know this about me, but my wife is on and she can attest to it. I also am an introvert. Really? I would not guess that. You wouldn't have? No. No, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, when I, when I get in front of a crowd at first, I think, why the fuck would anybody pay attention to me? So I start to beat myself up in my head. And I, when I say, hi, I'm at Mahal and, and I'm supposed to try to try to explain why they should listen to me. So by doing that, most people want to brag a little bit about what it is that they do. But I feel mm -hmm. like it's just bragging. And so mm -hmm. I feel like I, I, I skip that part most of the time as a result because I feel mm -hmm. embarrassed by my past thinking, why? Mm -hmm. there's no reason for them to listen to me. I just mm -hmm. I have this weird hat. <laughs> and this mustache and people recognize me. And because I do this podcast, I must be some kind of an expert. Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself that everyone I've talked to, right? Not everyone, definitely not even close to everyone, but a lot of people that I talk to have mm -hmm. given me feedback that I've, I've helped them in some way. And then that gets me past that moment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at the end of the day, especially after running an eight hour class where I'm talking for eight hours, mm -hmm. I definitely want to sit in a silent room for as long as I possibly can. Yes. Last night after we talked all day in class and I went to have dinner and I sat at the bar and all I wanted to do was eat my food and have silence. And the person, two people down, just wanted to talk my ear off and I did hit nicest person and I just did not want to talk. So I just hurried up and ate my food and left. I didn't even get to enjoy dinner because I just wanted silence. <laughs> But do you feel rude? So you talk to them anyway? Yes, I talked to them. I was very polite to them because he was very <laughs> nice. But I got out of there quickly because I was done. I was done talking for the day. Hey, Jen, I I actually could tell that about you, that you were also. Do you know who Jen Silver is? I do not. You should get to know who Jen Silver is. She's uh, she's pretty awesome. But she's, Hi, Jen. She does a, um, well, she's got a conference coming up. Uh, one industry, one model.com. And the conference talks about having contractors go back to the way things were 10, 15 years ago uh, when they would send in a bid and it would match how they would do their retail work. And oh. they, they didn't try to negotiate a claim, didn't try to use exact and all that kind of stuff. And they would get the homeowner to sign off on this is how much they're going to charge to their roof. Mm -hmm. And what, what if you had a claim like that as a public adjuster where you have this 
contract signed by the homeowner for the amount that mm -hmm. the contractor is going to charge them for this work. Would mm -hmm. that be easier to argue? Or mm -hmm. if you had a contractor that had a contingency contract and a maybe they don't have an estimate, you have to write it. But let's say they do, mm -hmm. but it's an exacttimate and the line ends are all wonky and they did a terrible job. Which mm -hmm. one would be easier? Oh, it's definitely easier to already have oh, yeah. that predetermined stuff of like, this is what we need. Is that a thing? She is an omnivert. That sounds dirty in a weird way. You're an extra extrovert when you have to be. Is that what that is? But for multiple people ambivert. at the same time. So yeah, she's an extrovert when she needs to be an introvert sometimes. I mean, ambivert. That sounds <laughs> like a medication you take at night. Ambient? <laughs> ah, that's what it was. <laughs> ambivert. Jen's been on the show once before. Uh, she's she's really good. You should get to know who she is. But it, for, okay. for anybody that's watching this, um, she is the... Equally both. She okay. actually does some, uh, she runs a financing company or is tied to a finance company or somewhere. I actually don't know that side of it. I just know that the model that she teaches people, I'm, I'm very excited to share with other contractors. And I often um, explain that they need to go talk to her if they have questions about things where it seems like they're going down the path of acting too much like a public adjuster. There's a certain mm -hmm. amount that they can be in a gray area, but many times they, they cross the line. So I yeah. sound there. So. Anyway. So Jen is also an omni ambi, equally both nevert, and she is awesome. And I'm going to see her in February. Hi, Jen. What were we talking <laughs> about? Oh, so public adjusting firms or contracting firms that are trying to expand. If, if you're in the insurance industry and you're thinking, I want to take my small firm and make it bigger, is it worth it? So pros and cons to go along with that. I can tell you from my experience, and I'm hoping uh, Frank Dalton gets on here because he runs a large firm right now. Uh, at, at my peak, we had 25 employees. It might have been 26. We'll say 25 employees with either 12 or 13 PAs. And when I was smaller, I took a salary for myself. Mm -hmm. And when I got bigger, I was still taking a salary for myself. Mm -hmm. it, it improved slightly over the years just because mm -hmm. whatever. But for the most part, I didn't really take home a lot of extra money. So mm -hmm. doing it in order to make more money didn't really pan out. The mm -hmm. company just had a hell of a lot more overhead and I had a hell of a lot more headaches and I had a lot more hours on my hands. Mm -hmm. I remember when we had when we had probably five or six people in the company, we had a lot of fun. Every now and then we would just sit down, stop the days of work and just play poker there was this one time one of my admin staff told me that he had never seen the movie The Princess Bride. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> no, I've heard of it, but I've never wow. seen it. Wow. Well, uh, you I'm have sorry, homework just, now, I so you can't come to my that. class. No, you I do. do. That's, you make that. time, and that's I what I did. I stopped after everything. This. I turned the phones off. I made everybody get into my office and we sat down oh in the middle gosh. of the business day and we watched the princess bride because it was important. A Why? lot of my, Why? I mean, you, you, you quote certain things, right? There's, <laughs> he needs to understand what I mean when I say certain things. It oh. was, it was a huge motivational thing for my team. They, they enjoyed the hell out of it. They mm -hmm. talked about it for years. Oh, good. When we got really big, we did not have the ability to do that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Now, no. I I probably had a homeowner that had to wait an extra day for a phone call or an adjuster that <laughs> didn't get an email that day. Oh, but no. When we had 60 claims or so at any given time, mm -hmm. it didn't matter as much. Right. When I had eight desk adjusters that each had 80 open claims at their desk, plus a field staff going all over the place, we couldn't mm -hmm. stop for a day to do something. No. That was impossible. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that fun stuff definitely fell to the wayside. My my overhead went up. My income kind of matched. Now, I will say this. Everything that what I'm saying is a result of me expanding as a public adjustment firm in a state with almost no leverage whatsoever doing residential claims at volume. If I was going to expand into doing large loss, I wouldn't need nearly the size staff that I had. True. So you have how many open claims at any given time? Mm, 25. 25. That's great for one person. That's a lot. For but you're one. doing cradle to grave 25. Mm -hmm. If you were doing just one aspect of the claim, 
maybe you do the desk adjusting and you have someone go out and you do all the field work, the inspection, the mm-hmm. meeting on site, maybe the maybe the writing the estimate. The only thing you had was once their their uh, coverage decision mm-hmm. came in, you had to either uh, argue to get coverage or negotiate the final claim. Desk mm-hmm. adjusting. Mm-hmm. That's what I called it. I if would that never was, do that, but no, that's not I your like favorite the part. Field. I'd be out in the field. Too. But anyway, somebody's got to do it. Exactly. Strangely. We're both introverts, and we liked meeting the adjusters in the field the most. There's something wrong with that, isn't, isn't there? Isn't that weird? It's weird. <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that it's a phone and we can't see their face. We don't actually know what it is that's on their face for that nonverbal communication. I have a hard time with phone calls. Mm-hmm. I, well, but I like one-on-one or small groups. So I love meeting the homeowner and getting to know them and developing a relationship or the, the whoever, the business owner or whatever. And one-on-ones with adjusters don't bother me, but it's just yeah, large groups all day are, are taxing on me. They can be, especially when I actually, I, I get a little bit more bogged down when I'm treated like I'm special in those large groups. If some, if people were picking on me from a large group, I love that. <laughs> But if they're, okay, if they're all telling me how great I am. I make fun it. of them. Yeah, make, please. My family makes fun of people they like. They always have. <laughs> I've been picked on since I was a toddler. To me, that means I love you. If you're super nice to me, it's a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Or a little bit different. The way, so the way if that he's I, nice to you, you know you have a problem. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually correct. That's that's true. If well, I pick on you a little bit, you've been nice to me for two days, so I, I should be worried about today. Oh, Quite a bit. I guess so. I forgot. You're, you're not even picking it up because I'm doing it so subtly. As long as it makes you feel good, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. There's Frank. He did pop in. Frank did pop in. I'm. I, I Frank. I'd like to be able to pull you on because you've got a fairly large firm, and I'd like to ask you some questions to see if we can compare notes here. Matt, your hat is weird. I know. I don't know why people expect to see me in this thing anymore. I wear this because it keeps the sun out of my eyes. Oh, but he's picking on you. Doesn't that make you feel good? I did a little bit. <laughs> did a little bit. So if he had said, uh, <laughs> Matt, your face is beautiful or something like that, I would feel like he must be picking on me because obviously that's a lie. Mm-hmm. But maybe if he said, Matt, your everything could be construed that way. So that was actually a stupid argument. Never mind. James, I don't like your hat. Is Frank calling in? Is that what you told him to do? I have to send him an invite. And let me do this. Um, I'm actually going to post this in comments in case somebody else ends up being able to come on. Now's your chance. Anybody wants Frank, to Frank, click on? that link. Come into the to the back end. We'll go on from there. So, so one man show wanting to expand into something bigger as a PA firm or an engineering firm or a contracting firm. There are some there are some benefits to expanding. There's clout. Mm-hmm. When I when I met with adjusters on site and they met with all good adjustments uh, adjusters four times in the last two days at different claims, mm-hmm. it definitely had a different feel when I dealt with them than it did before. They never knew, by the way, that I was the owner, or at least most of them didn't. I didn't mm-hmm. want them to know oh, really? that I ran the company. Why? I got better information out of them if I didn't. Really? Yeah. Instead of trying to brag that oh, I run this big company, you met with so mm-hmm. much of my guard, blah, 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 like somebody might do. Uh-huh. I I basically acted like I was an employee and that, yeah, they got me running all over the place today. I got to be at two more <laughs> later today. I can't wait to go home. I can't uh-huh. tell you how much additional information I got from them because they wanted to complain about their job too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Good. Some of them plan. found out way down the road and like, why didn't you ever tell me? I was like, to be honest, man, I don't really want the extra attention that that brings. Mm-hmm. I'd rather just be friends with you. And they right. get it. And I, that, that was that was the real truth on why I did it. But mm-hmm. it did have benefits in the end. Yeah. Um, got to do what you got to do. Make it work. A lot of. I learned this from um, Olivia. She was Antonoli at the time. Her last name is now Stoner. Olivia Stoner. We used to work for Merlin and she was in the marketing mm-hmm. and they would come for a Gappy event and then take myself and my team out and we would just have fun. And I would pick on her and she would pick on me and we would go do something fun. We wouldn't talk about work. And there was, mm-hmm. from what I understand, I might've been the first PA firm that they had ever taken out where the owner of the public adjusting firm didn't just sit there, give them war stories and brag about all the things that they've been able 
to do mm -hmm. to make themselves look good. Apparently that is the norm mm -hmm. for an owner of a PA firm. Mm -hmm. I always thought that that was contrived and weird, but I, I enjoyed just hanging out with that person. It was more about a relationship because right. um, she was a marketing girl. One of, mm -hmm. There's no benefit. She saw how big my company was. We were all out together. I don't need to say anything more. There was nothing more to say. But she uh, she made a point to say, <laughs> she, <laughs> Frank's doing something weird in the wings. She made a point to say that, um, and I lost my train of thought, Frank, you jackass. <laughs> well, okay. Is marketing important? Was it important as you expanded? Marketing was. So no, that from that aspect, you're absolutely right. But for, can you even tell that I'm hitting your shoulder? Look at this. Sort like of. Only because it I'm stops. Like a mine. <laughs> That's so weird. Anyway. <laughs> We're easily amused over here. I need a, I need a green wall just to be a mime in front of you guys. The, um, I lost my train of thought again Marketing. It, by, by not trying to brag about what it is that my company is or do like a, mm -hmm. like an owner might do. Um, I definitely made it a little bit more relatable and the more relatable that I was in the field, the more likely it was that the field adjuster was going to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And that was really important when in a state with very little leverage. So Oklahoma doesn't have the most leverage in the world either. So you build good relationships too, right? I think everything's about relationships. If you don't make relationships, you're just screwed. Almost in any career field, but right. I mean, that's the number one thing you can do in this career field is just make friends. So you told me yesterday that you were thinking about uh, growing your business a little bit and you were asking me a few questions about it. But I assume the goal of doing that is to make more money and be able to walk away a little bit. So it's not all on you. Well, no, I think what I ended up saying was that if my sons, when they get out of college, want to come and do this, I would expand for them. But I'm not sure I would do it just because. That's right. So I don't I'm I'm good. I'm pretty happy how things are with just me, except maybe a permanent admin one day. But um, okay. I would do it for my boys. I'm not sure they appreciate that, but I would. If I was going to go back in time, I'd do an admin and an in-house estimator. All right. So um, here's here's Frank. Frank, Frank. I'm close. Uh, you know what? I, I can fix it. Ha. There we go. Frank. I need to plug that to hear you. Is there an echo? Hang on. You've got a headset over there. You might just throw that on so you can hear him. Now I can hear you. What up? What's going on? So I'm curious. Now I have an echo. That's so weird. You're so strange. Uh, <laughs> what have you been doing since you got off work today? <laughs> Making dinner for my kids and my wife. She is sick. Aww. Do you happen to have a, a headset or something? We're catching our own voices through your speaker. No, but I can move away from the speakers a little bit and see if that helps. Oh, it could. This steam yard doesn't work well with... Um, the Much better. Phone. So That'll do. I have to put it on Bluetooth, and which is going through that speaker on your back porch. Yep. Still a little bit there, but not nearly as bad. Okay, so I'm just going to let you talk, and I'm going to shut up so this doesn't happen. But out of curiosity, if you could go back in time and decide whether or not you were going to expand your company to the size that you are, or do it again and actually grow it, what would you prefer to do? But. What do you mean do it again and actually grow it? Would you expand and become a large firm again like you are now? Or would you, after looking back with hindsight, decide that maybe it wasn't worth it? What's your opinion? No, I, for me and my personality and the way that our culture is, I probably would have expanded bigger and faster. But he's definitely an extrovert. Is he? I would guess that. Um, in a little bit of time, I said. I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. And, um, you know, um, it's it's kind of, I'm like anyone that's gotten to know me. I'm like a super simile person or, you know, that's how my brain works. So but this one kind of stinks because sometimes when you use the simile of like a McDonald's versus Ruth Chris's, you know, you'll get that remark of uh, quality. And that's not necessarily... Uh, what I mean, but the bottom line is, is 
you know, we, we try to package a product that, you know, regardless of where you buy it, who you buy it from, the end product's going to come out and look the same. Um, it has been my experience that when you're dealing with smaller kind of one man operations or one woman operations, uh, you're either dealing with very high end uh, boutique and a lot of concierge level service, or you're dealing with a public adjuster that is just trying to get more money for because. And I've had a couple of smaller office, and I'm sure larger offices are guilty of doing the same thing, but I've had a lot of smaller people look at coming on and you get to that threshold and you're like, okay, well, fake numbers. You got 30,000, the homeowner's paying you the, you know, 3,000 out of their pocket. They're not getting it out of proceeds. They're paying their deductible, but there's enough now to do the repairs. And I'll see the PA want to stand on it just to get the price up. And I've never heard them say just to get more money. It's just like this, um, this preconceived notion they put in their head that if they get more, it's better. Um, so for me, the, those type of one person operations don't work great. Um, but the ones that are doing it like that are very boutique or uh, maybe there's, you know, um, someone that's bilingual that has a client base or somebody that's patient um, or maybe a little bit more methodical in their inspection process. And they're dealing with uh, claims that might have nuances or whatever. Um, I think that's a great fit for those. I, again, I don't think there's a right answer. There's certainly likely more money in it for the owner of the firm if they're doing a smaller operation. I, I think on a, on a per person basis, that might be true. And I muted you just so we don't get the echo while I'm responding to you, but there's a, so you, if, if you're a one man show and, and the goal here is to get a claim as high as possible, instead of benefiting the policyholder and finding out what their wishes are, which you should be doing. Uh, but it, do you think that that is a, is a function of just not having enough claims? Yeah, I'm muted. Fair enough. Okay. Oh, you unmuted me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I certainly do. I think when you're the, the head butcher, the head baker, the head dish cleaner, the head restaurant concierge, the head waiter, you're, you're wearing so many hats that it might be difficult to keep your marketing stick going while you're working on your claims uh, investigation. And yeah, I, I genuinely do think there are people and I don't think they're doing it for like insanely nefarious reasons or even going into it thinking, oh, let me just sit on this one. But I have seen an abundant amount of people sit on claims to get it up to, you know, 60,000 when it's at 30 and the homeowner is really the one suffering. And I know state per state, there's going to be diligence and dispatch and reasons not to do that. None of these scenarios I'm speaking about are like someone was like, I want to make more money, bro. It's always like they feel like getting more money is better for the client. And, um, you know, I just don't see the point of prolonging the inevitable. If you hit that comfort threshold where everybody's good with the numbers and the repairs can be made appropriately, uh, my brain says do it. So that's kind of, <laughs> I think we're also that McDonald's Ruth Chris comparison comes in. Um, you know, I just, it's, it doesn't make sense to me. And I guess coming from the carrier side, like, I did a mediation the other day and I won't speak of that specific mediation, but the mediator had started practicing law in 1950 and after the mediation. So we were outside of the cone of silence and safety um, and the adjuster for the insurance company who had been working for 35 years, both thanked me for, you know, taking the approach of what was best for the homeowner and the mediation. And um, you know, sometimes you take a haircut on fees or you do this or do that, but you know, I just can't see standing on something and knowing that insurer, especially dealing with roof leaks, could be exposed to another year and a half, two years while their house is leaking, getting worse. And, you know, it just it doesn't make sense. And I, I think like your counterpart there, she gets it. And her operation just works the way it works because they uh, they um, you can tell speaking with her it comes from a place of sincerity, but some, some other ones, not so much. I'm on my phone, so I can't read Matt's remarks. I'm not going to let you read, read that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even spell half so of that. I agree with, I agree with some of what he's saying, but yes, me in particular, I won't run up a claim. I'll get them what they need 
and mm-hmm. let's all move on. I don't take every claim. I take what I can handle and and have time to manage. And then there are times that I've said there have been other PAs that would refer things to me. And I would say, I don't have time for anymore. I'm full. And so I think that that you do have to know your limits of I'm full until I get some of these done. I can't take any more and be fair to the customer. And, you know, I tell the customers, you know, you have to have that conversation with your client of what, what is it that you, what's your goal? And when you get to that goal, okay. Yeah. I asked them that for sure. I think you, you, you stumbled on the same point that Matt's making. And I I think Mm -hmm. it's a really good point. When you start growing, um, it's it's easy for you to take on too much than what you can actually handle. Or the mm-hmm. fact that you need to grow stems from the fact that you're already overloaded. So mm-hmm. the hardest thing to duplicate when growing is not overpromising and underdelivering. It takes a lot of time and effort to grow because the operation has to be set up before you fill the pipeline with sales. The counter to that is a sales before product-driven company that ends up causing that mass underdelivery. And that's that's. Mm-hmm. It's a really good way of actually wording that whole topic. So if, if you're going to grow, is it reactionary or is it proactive? Are you growing because you want to? And so you're building up your your force ready to take on more claims or is it because you're already overloaded? I took both approaches at different points in my company. Early on, it was uh, the opposite. I, I took on too many claims because I, I wanted more money coming in the door, but I needed some help. And mm-hmm. I was trying after working, you know, 15, 16 hours every day to want to have a reason to or have someone in, in place so that I could start coming home. That was the idea anyway. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually go home after I put <laughs> someone in that position. I just filled the rest of my time up. And I, I do that consistently. It's it's a sick passion. <laughs> my poor wife has to deal she with this is. shit. I tell myself over and over again, if I could just get one There's more hat off my head. For that, I'm sure. <laughs> we, we like to use the hat analogy. I, I have too many hats. I have way too many hats. I need to take a hat off. But every time I feel someone to put that hat on. See, see, she agrees. Still watching. Yes, you do. She I'm agrees. sorry. I know. You know I'm, I'm sick. Uh, I have a problem. I like to work. It's one of those things. Anyway, so he, he has a good point. So if you're reactionary, mm-hmm. and, and the vast majority of public officers are, if you're in a state where there isn't a lot of PAs, it's easy mm-hmm. to get overloaded. Mm-hmm. If you happen to be in Florida where a lot of PAs go out knocking on doors because they need more work, it's, it might be the other way around. Uh, but very, very few public adjusters do what Matt said mm-hmm. um, and set yourself up by putting those people in place prior to getting the additional work. But mm-hmm. if you can do that, it's ideal because then you have time to train someone properly. But there is a lot of overhead associated with bringing those individuals on beforehand, mm-hmm. assuming they're going to work out. It's a risk. So you can't even you can't even put them in a position where they're already doing some of the secondary work that you need. But if you do it this way, and it's before you have that additional work, then you actually have time to train them. So in the long run, it's going to benefit you in yeah. all ways. But in the short yeah. run, it's a sacrifice. Yeah, Andrew says, be transparent. I assume that is a result of uh, just asking the client what it is they want. Any comments on any of that, Frank? Yep. You didn't have to come. Sorry, Reagan was talking to me. I know. I was trying to put you on, so it got weird. I, saw it. <laughs> I was telling Reagan she could have a uh, cone. No, uh, Matt Barron's a good friend and smart man, and his point's very valid. Um, I, I, I think uh, he said it very articulated. Um, there's also some other things, you know, when you're when you're growing into markets like I um, we've had a rough go in Georgia, a very rough go. And um, I had a client tonight I onboarded and the homeowner who got done. And I mean, I basically told him, I said, look, if you can accept the fact that you live in a non leverage friendly state and this could be it's it's going to be a muck. It may not be a battle, but it's going to be a muck and accept the fact that the most likely outcome of your loss is going to be with a repair and not replacement. And, uh, you know, I got done and he laughed. He goes, well, the, the insurance company tried to tell me not to use a public adjuster, but they didn't do as good a job as you. (laughs) I said, you know, I said, you know, I get it. I said, at the end of the day, we're all human. And I said, the bottom line is, is we're, we're learning more and more. And it's not even state specific. It's regional because we worked South Georgia for years and never had any of the issues we have in central or northern Georgia. And, um, you know, it's one of those things. So, 
you look out to the advice of your your peers in the industry. Um, I certainly, um, you know, it's like expecting to have a kid moving into another state. You can prepare all you want. You're never going to be perfectly ready. Uh, you're never going to set the you're never going to reach the expectations another company had with the previous PA firm. Every you know, everyone's got a little bit differentness to them, but. Yeah, it's a valid point. And uh, multi-state growth is difficult. The, the struggle is real. Um, it's not fun, you know. It definitely, meet you again. Um, going into other states with large loss wasn't nearly as bad as attempting to do um, smaller claims from across the borders. You know, the, the smaller the claim, generally, the less leverage you have. Mm -hmm. So doing that kind of thing was an issue. But if you're small, if you stay small and you're just a few people, you don't have to cross state lines, but if you if you rely on storm claims mm -hmm. and there's no storm in your area for over a year, things start drying up. I went through a time like that, right? And I kept telling my business partners like we we could we need to geographically diversify. We need to be able to have uh, multiple zones mm -hmm. of weather always acting upon it. So if, if one area in a completely different geographic location um, has a dry spell, the right. company as a whole wouldn't get hurt. But in order to do that, you have to have people out there. Right. You do. So what, what, what do you put out? If, if you're going to expand it to another state, the only person you need out in that state would be field staff, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And so we were trying to set up field staff in certain areas, but finding someone remotely to work in the field without you being there to help them, especially when they're brand new or something mm -hmm. becomes a chore. Um, finding someone remote to work that is a little bit easier to work with um, while they're remote is, is definitely somewhat of a chore. I know Frank's dealt with some of this on remote work. So I'm going to put him back on. Tell us some of the woes you've had with dealing with remote workers. I mean, without being one off and heaven forbid i got a contractor on here that's like well that's not what happened but it, none, none of this is really specific claim but you know i've i have paid other adjusters for reinspections more than the entire fees for a claim just because the contractor you know felt that it was necessary for someone to be there for a fourth inspection um it, it just differs from your background experience. I mean, I, first off, anyone that's on here that does commercial, that's comparing residential to commercial, there's such an intrinsic, just a general difference. Um, you know, residential claims, damage is damage, the size is the size. Um, Matt and I go back and forth on this frequently, but the merits of the claim are rarely ever ran in the field because they don't have, the person you're meeting with doesn't possess an ounce of authority normally. They can do a recommendation. Um, I, I, I don't think a lot of it's one in the field. And and I think that when we're talking about the, the damage to the roofing system, yeah, I mean, as an adjuster, I could look at it and go, there's five missing shingles. But our contractors are the consummate professionals. Um, I think, you know, sometimes the contractors get so used to the PA winning it that they think we're doing something magical. It, my brand as a PA is really documenting the damage. That can be a photograph. That can be a JPEG. That can be a, you know, a, a company cam link. And the reality is if it's there and that contractor is saying this roof is non-repairable and this is some of the problems with the file, I think going out, I put it this way, if the claims were really one in the field, they'd be fought in the field, which means the desk examiner would be out there. How often does that happen? Once every 400 residential claims. It's different commercial. When I worked commercial claims for a carrier, we did have authority. You know, we, we were settling them in the field. So this whole thing about residential claims really getting much accomplished in the field, it is, um, I kind of feel sometimes it's like, asking a doctor to sit there and explain to you why he's going to fix your leg instead of fixing your leg. You know, it, it doesn't really do the claim much justice. Uh, the shingles aren't going to get any more broker -er -er than they already are. The hail's not going to get any more hail damage -er than it already is. Um, so I don't think that the field is just nothing, but when I've got a contractor that's licensed and they have documented the file, there's a level of trust there and they've sent photographs or they've sent a report like, what good are you doing out there walking on the roof and potentially causing more damage to the footfall and things like that? Insurance companies do that. And I've heard Matt talk about it before. I think Pate mentioned it recently. 
they do that is freeze out to people. It stalls the claim out, but it also bleeds the PA fees and the PA services dry. Um, you know, you're you're looking at being on the loss more than one time. You're being screwed with. I mean, it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, do disagree with some of that, and and I, I I totally muted him just so that I could disagree with it. Uh, but before <laughs> I do that. <laughs> Before I do that, because uh, that might be a whole episode where Frank and I just argue uh, about yeah. that whole field versus uh, yeah, desk adjusting. He does things differently than I did, for sure. I, I wouldn't mind having that fight. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we push that off. But real quick, though, uh, you, you prefer the field. Do you win more claims based on the work that you do in the field or based on the work that you do at the desk, you think? Oh, I think it depends on the claim, but probably more in the field. I would say I know more often when I leave there what's going to happen. That's true. That's how I feel about it, too. But there's a few, except for, well, I would say that on residential side. I would say on my commercial side, my large ones, it's more right. at the desk. Same. I, I agree with the same. Um, um, and, and Frank, I think the premise here, Frank, is that you've... You're basing your assumption. We're going to have to have this argument it's later. Dis- I'm, I'm already trying states. to argue with them. For three different states. So. It's completely different. And every state is going to be different. And, and I've muted you, so you can keep talking. But there's <laughs> nothing that none of us are going to hear. He's not uh, going to come back to class tomorrow. He's you keep muting him. I, I might just boot him right <laughs> I now. I need him tomorrow. <laughs> Frank, I'm going to let you go in just a second. But ultimately, I, I'd love to have you on the show specifically to have this discussion. Uh, but maybe we could do it both in studio sometime soon. All right? Yeah. And again, it's not a one size fits all argument and it's not a gross business practice argument. Um, I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I completely agree with her. We know where every claim's going by the time you get off that inspection. It's going to someone else to make the decision about the coverage and about what they're going to pay. Not necessarily. <laughs> I would say commercial, yes. But no, always commercial. commercial, commercial, I agree with you. And on some residential, if you're dealing with uh, a staff adjuster, yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to. I don't want to be misconstrued here. We're not a company that doesn't go do inspections, but no. I, I, if you're getting past two or three, you're being yanked around. Um, you know, that's 100%. like when people say, "Are you going to go to the engineering inspection?" Why? So they can tell us we're not really supposed to talk to them about the claim. I mean, <laughs> engineers never once ask a public adjuster for an opinion unless they're trying to prove a point. I just, I, I mean, I, I do see the argument six ways. I'm just saying in general, if you have a roof engineer on a $18,000 residential roof, they don't really give a rat's ass what you're saying. They're being paid 3600 bucks mm-hmm. to say there's no damage commonly. Yes. yes. Yeah. Being there and saying, I told you so, is not going to make an ounce of difference. <laughs> I feel great, though. All right, Frank, I'm going to let you go, but we're going to have an episode very soon. And the episode is going to be titled uh, Matt and Frank finally work out our differences on the air. You think y'all can work them out? I doubt it. President of Gapia is calling me right now. Maybe he doesn't like your podcast tonight. That's his problem. I'll call back. All right. So I've got James in the wings now. And yeah, she's like, yeah. Uh, the uh, I got James in the wings. He he asked a very good question. I'm going to pull you on real quick, James. I hope you're ready. Here we go. You're muted. Surprise. Unmute it. Hey, I unmute you. you. There you go. What's going on, James? How you doing? Hey, you know another day. How you doing? You know another day. That's it. <laughs> it never ends. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, I basically I just wanted to ask. Like you I know want to. <laughs> I want to go on vacation. Oh, okay, you're at the beach. <laughs> My beach time. I get my beach time tonight for this. Yeah, sorry, right. Matt. James. Oh, James. Sorry. Uh, hey, you guys are good. We're just bullshitting, right? <laughs> I mean, it's the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I just wanted to ask, like, how do either of you decide if a claim is worth your time? If I call you, Matt, and I'm like, hey, I need you to work this claim for me. What are some things that you're going to be looking for? So I know not to waste your time to even call you. I don't want to bother you if it doesn't even seem worth your time. So what are you looking for in a claim when it comes to you? And you go, yeah, this is something I'm going to take on. I'm going to ask answer your question 
but let me premise this with the fact that I don't practice uh, as a public adjuster right now. I'm solely in education. Uh, but Malia totally can work your claim if it's in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, I, I can help refer you to someone, but I'm going to tell you what it is that I was looking for. And you can collaborate a little bit based on what it is that you generally look for. But I, I try to get photos and information from the contractor, what it is that you found on the roof. And if you've already had a claim uh, where you met with the adjuster on site and it was denied, I'm definitely going to ask you a ton of questions about what was said and why and what the reason for denial was. Because a lot of times after you've been out there on site and it's already been denied, there's a lot of things that may have occurred that may kind of screw up the claim and make it much more difficult for me to deal with. So I need to know how screwed up the claim became because I wasn't involved from the beginning. Right. I prefer to have claims from the beginning. So a lot of the contractors I work with, I asked for the full book of business from them. If they were going to work with us, they were just going to have us be part of their process as part of the claim. Um, and that way they only had one process. They didn't have to worry about it. If they had a claim, it went to all good. If it was not a claim and it was retail, I didn't have anything to do with that. But that way uh, there was no compliance issues from state to state. What do you think about that though? Do you think um, denied claims are definitely harder? Oh, 100%. And especially if they call me and I start asking, what's your date of loss and figure out, oh, do I have 60 days left before you can file suit? No. No. Now, public uh, adjusters are totally um, also culprits of that issue. We might hold on to it way too long before handing it off to an attorney, uh, waiting until the suit limitation period is nearly expired. I know I did that because it was a low leverage state, and I know the attorney's fees weren't going to get paid, and I wanted to win uh, it before I get to them. But Well, well I don't whatever. necessarily do that in Oklahoma, yeah. but, um, you know, data loss, what really happened, what's going on? Have you already had a reinspect? If you've had a reinspect that was also denied, that's a whole other situation. Um, you know, depends on how deep you are into it. Do I feel like you're giving me the whole story? I want to come and see it for myself and make an assessment because I'm not going to take every claim because I don't want to waste your time. I don't waste my time. I don't want to waste insurance company's time. I want to make sure that it's valid. Um, I just scratched my nose. <laughs> I'm fairly certain a booger came out and fell into my <laughs> Nobody boot. would have known if you had that. You could have just carried on. I don't care. I don't know. So, so the validity, have they paid anything today? You know, where where are you at on this claim? And, I mean, if it wasn't a booger that's in my beer and I don't drink anymore, it's a waste of beer, right? Well, nobody will know. But just if there is the a beer. booger in my beer now <laughs> and I drink it, what does that make me? And we digress. Yeah. You didn't really want an answer to your question, did you? You want to talk about beer. Well, <laughs> the beer. The beer. That's the problem. I mean, I mean we are bullshit here. So. This is why you drink whiskey we'll going. and Coke Zero. Then you can see what falls in it, and it's not a guess. Make sure. <laughs> Nothing left. <laughs> All right. I think we're good. I just think the short story is every claim needs to be assessed individually, and you need to set that expectation for the potential client that you may or may not take the case based upon the facts you find. And then when you investigate it, if I find they've been dishonest in some way, I'm out. You know, if I can't count on them to tell me what's really going on, I'm not getting involved in that. I don't want to wind up in trouble with a carrier or have a bad reputation because I wasn't given all the information. Yeah, 100%. I, I really like to get into the photos of the damages and see what was claimed uh, versus uh, what the results of the adjustment were. A lot of times it's a functional versus cosmetic damage dispute that's going on. And if that's what it is, then depending on the carrier, I might take it on. Uh, but a lot of times if it's already denied, I... Mm -hmm. I definitely scrutinize those claims a hell of a lot more because there is a lot more work involved on our end. Uh, Frank likes to say, uh, if you're trying to unfuck fucked, sometimes it's too fucked to unfuck. <laughs> I got it. That's what he says. I didn't say that. So yeah. I can say that on the air. <laughs> so, so <laughs> tell me one or two things that I shouldn't say to stick my foot in my mouth to like ruin the claim or, you know, hurt the process, <laughs> you know, because I, I do understand where you guys are coming from. We try to make accurate claims, find the right kind of damage and actually help the homeowner. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm not crossing boundaries and doing that. So what's one or two things that you would suggest that I do to avoid, you know, muddying up the claim? 
Well, I think you need to make sure you stay on your side of stuff. We have a lot more um, freedom of what we can say, obviously, than a contractor. But we also want to make sure we're not trying to step into some legal shoes. And I don't want to make um, promises to the client that you may or may not be able to keep. I think keeping it realistically realistic and staying within the bounds of our licensure and what's allowed to be done is really important. I think being upfront and succinct to the carrier is very important and letting them know your expectations. That's true. Well, you asked me on multiple comments this question just so you could ask it. Well, I, it, like wasn't, it wasn't popping up when I typed it in and, and then like people were responding and their comments were popping yeah. up. Like, what the hell is happening? Uh, Got to get that in there. No, I'm, I'm glad you got it on the air because this is this is actually a, a good question, and a lot of people ask me this kind of thing. So, I think it really comes down to. I teach this in the at the National Claims Institute, part of the Compositional Roof Inspection course, on when it is a worthwhile claim and when it isn't, and all of the things that I talk about in that class to explain how it is that you would assess whether or not you have a valid claim. All of that is exactly what I'm looking at when I'm looking at a file, even from a contractor. But I'm also assessing the, the policy. I say that, but I knew that in my states, almost word for word, what some of these policies said, just because they were, I dealt with these policies so much. I, I know the sticky language in every individual policy and all the little nuances between it from my state. I don't know that for every state. I know it from the state that I worked heavily. Um, and we just did so many claims that I, and I had documentation. I knew what it was. Do I? I don't have to have these anymore, do I? Only if he's talking. Yeah. So you do. Because you don't have yours on. Oh, you got, got I have an ear thing because of the Sorry, hat. I got if distracted. I put that on over the hat, it looks really weird. Sorry. Carry on. Yeah. It was like a booger comment almost. <laughs> that would be just now. <laughs> I right. actually talked Sorry. about a booger in my beer on the air. I did not. Later, I'm going to be like, Why? did that discredit me as a good public adjuster? Ashley is going to lecture you about that later. Yes, she will. Probably. She's going to laugh at me later and, and pick on me about it, probably. Did we answer your question as we've, like, yeah, down the winding road? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I kind of knew the answer. It's going to take you guys, you know, taking a look at the claim and the file of what mm-hmm. I've already created and kind of where it's at. And you're going to... All the same of- reasons. Yeah. All the same reasons that you would look at a file and try to determine if you've got a valid claim is the kind of stuff that we would look at. But then we would also want to know if what you said is valid or goes against that policy. So on mm-hmm. top of everything that you would normally look at, we probably want to see the policy language. Policy is that would important. be the really big difference. And that's sometimes I, I can't even focus on. So that I get correct. that. So, right. Okay. Yeah. Thank cool. you guys. Appreciate it. Yep. I'm booting you. <laughs> Boop. I really need a foot swinging motion video to add um, into that. Right. Okay. Uh, with a push button where I push it and it like, Bunts the the right. that image off the screen. I'm sure you can make that happen. That'd be a hell of a lot more fun. Probably. Um, Andrew is someone that I work with, and Dustin King. I think that's the same Andrew. I don't remember his last name. Shout out to John Senek, NTS Lab. If you haven't used NTS, I highly recommend. I also like John Senek. He also has that NTS ID, and I think it's great. And we probably need to have him on just to talk about that at some point with some examples of some of those documents. But all right, Malia, we had a topic. Yeah, I don't think we resolved the topic, but we're almost at a whole hour mm-hmm. on this topic. The only good question that we got out of someone had nothing to do with our topic. But that's okay because it's important to answer those questions. I'm just drinking. I just think that there's no right answer to our topic. I think it's not a one size fits all, and you have to do what's best for you and your state. And you said you're an introvert, and you brought that up because that is why you wanted to stay small. Do you think it matters the person's personality on whether or not they should expand then? I don't think it necessarily is a be all end all. I think it makes a difference on how easily it is for them to do that. Because if you're going to grow and expand, you've got to be willing to get out there and do the networking yourself or hire somebody to do it for you. So, I mean, there's multiple ways to go about it. Sure. So it's just my preference is to stay small because that's just how, how I enjoy it. And, and, you know, other people don't see it that way. There's no right answer. 
Oh, man, I have a terrible mind. Uh, some of your comments out of context were actually uh, very good for my ego. Who? Who's comments? You just know. Oh, all right. You have a preference to say small. <laughs> At least there's somebody out there with that preference. Am I right? <sighs> Thank God. Anyway. Whatever. Uh, I can my wife's going to love that comment. Um, I used to always say I was an introvert. The most valuable piece of advice I got was that there's no such thing as an introvert or extrovert, rather confidence or lack of confidence. I think I have confidence, but I'm an introvert. But yes, I agree ma'am. with the statement. It is a good statement. You. It's, you've um, got to be confident. You're not going to be successful in this field if you aren't confident. Yeah. I mean, you can't split the you can't split the population by introvert and extrovert. And there's not, you can't be just two things. That's a um, oh. that's a false dichotomy for sure. But there is a there is something to the idea that some people can handle social environments to longer extents than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there's a good point here. If I'm confident about something, if I'm talking about something really geeky, like the princess bride, I'm going to be excited to talk to strangers about something. If they have the same excitement level mm-hmm. that I do about that thing, because I'm confident that I know I brought up princess bride because of the, the story from earlier. Please I don't know make me watch it tomorrow. You need to watch it. That's watch what it we're going to do. The class. entire that class is shutting it down. So we're not talking about any but specialty think- roof materials at all. I think, just watching Princess Bride. The whole exam oh is going to be about the Princess Bride I'm movie. Fail. I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get. You're it. Gonna I'm going to so get the certification. But I think. I don't know. I lost my point because you distracted me. <laughs> but oh, I think that sharing not just with people that have the same passion as you, but educating people that don't know anything about it that need your help. I think that it gives me drive to want to talk to people and share and help because I have this, I have this desire to help people and it breaks my heart to see them wronged. And the weakness in that is occasionally I will take claims that are valid, but that I probably shouldn't take because I know I'm going to spend too much time on them for what they pay me because I have a heart for that person or what's happening to them. And so that's been a balance that I've had to learn. I've definitely done that mm-hmm. way too much. My team mm-hmm. will tell you that mm-hmm. I did that way too often because mm-hmm. it's just it's like bullshit if, sometimes. If you don't you know, help they, them, nobody else will. Why the hell would they have said this? It's such... Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you don't help them, no one's going to. You know, mm-hmm. um, I believe in a claim to the bottom of my soul, but doesn't mean I'm the best person to argue slash negotiate it. Use strengths and find others that complement your weaknesses as a primary strength of theirs. That's a great comment. That's one of those uh, comments that you stick on the wall in like mm-hmm. a frame with mm-hmm. a cap. There's always a yes, cap. Nicely said. Yeah. nicely said. Yeah. Matt, I'm going to put your your uh, comment up as a, what do, you, what do you call those kind of pictures? Those are um, motivational. Motivational. That's a motivational poster all day long, but mm-hmm. you should write these things. Hallmark's probably looking for a job. It's your next career. They're not looking what for a job. What you always wanted to do. They're offering a job. <laughs> <laughs> I might. I might. That'll be fun. I uh, love the shirt. Hey, thanks. Wife made this one. We are putting some shirts up on a marketplace soon. If you're watching Listen to This Bull because you like watching me drink beer with boogers in it, possibly, or at least agonizing over whether I should continue drinking a beer that potentially has a booger uh, in it, then you should get a shirt like this too. Shouldn't I get one for bailing you out tonight and being the honorary first student, you know? <laughs> you might. <laughs> Size medium. You, you just might get a shirt. <laughs> the wife is watching. Uh, we're going to have a marketplace up. Um, my wife is not going to be making a lot of these in the future. It's going to be a drop ship kind of a situation, but we're going to have plenty of designs up there. And oh, everybody wants a free one now. Are you jackasses? All right. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be expensive, uh, but it will help support the channel. So I, I do a lot of videos and things that are educational. Um, and I haven't been able to publish one of those in a long time. I have been doing the podcast in the meantime. I'm trying to provide a fun way of teaching some people things, but to be honest, 
Nah. He earned one. <laughs> you jackasses. Yeah. Hey, at least James says he'd pay. James says he'll pay. There he goes. He gets the discount. James is my favorite of all of you. <laughs> all right. So I will, uh, if, if you guys end up purchasing a shirt, it will help support the channel. And I can finally hire another editor so that I can get some of those educational videos out. The ones that are five, 10 minutes long that you can actually watch over and over again and get an idea, maybe even send to an adjuster when you have a problem. Those are the videos that I really want to do. And I've got a ton of content, but I need someone to edit it. So I'm looking to hire someone in order to do that. I need to pay for it. So I'm going to have a marketplace very, very soon. Very, very soon in the next couple of weeks with a lot of different designs. I, I hope you um, can take a look at that and, and purchase some of these. Also, there is a Patreon available if you would like to just donate to that cause. You can go to patreon.com backslash L2TB. Just like the it's it's well, other side. I'm terrible weather, man. Listen I'll be to this bolt. You make a much better van <laughs> All right, so L2TB, so Patreon slash L2TB. There are different levels you can donate to that, or you can actually get some one-on-one -on -one, uh, consulting time with me if you would prefer to uh, pay one of those things. So that's all stuff that helps listen to this bull. He's worth it. More. It's worth it. It's Well, thank you. I'm trying to plug you. You plugged me. That sounded wrong. My wife is watching. <laughs> I did not mean it that way. I didn't either. All right. So we're it's about time to go. Oh, that's that. We have to end it now. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, I have Holly Soffer on. Uh, she's an attorney that deals with compliance issues from state to state to public adjuster. She has compliance documentation out the wazoo, which I just realized might be the very first time I've used that term. My mom says it all the time. You're turning into your mom. I'm turning that into my mom. when you get older. That is scary. <laughs> He's drinking whiskey up there. <laughs> I, oh, my God. Whiskey is so, the best. Anyway, it, she, has, <laughs> she has compliance stuff out the wazoo, um, and she's fantastic. So if you have any questions about certain compliance or different things, she tries to stay on top of that stuff. But that is her entire job as, as an attorney. So this is something that is huge. She's also a part of, uh, well, she's a part of Napia. She's a part of Mapia. She's a part of, uh, I can't remember where we're from. Anyway, Holly Software, she's fantastic. I've talked to her many, many times. And you might be interested to get a hold of her if you were having issues getting licensed in certain states. So that's next Tuesday at 6 p.m. And I will see you then. This is Malia Meadows. She works in Oklahoma. If you need me, call me in Oklahoma. And we'll put her information into the back end of this. Thanks, guys. I'll see you later. Make a weird pose while we're ending it because it takes like a few seconds.